Pardon? Yes, I, I, all right. Um, I'm going to do this by request. Um, and I never do it. My staff gets on me because uh, I'm not a marketer. But um, if you are interested in receiving my monthly pastoral letter, um, free. Um, I don't emphasize the free part, but it is. It's no charge. Just sign your name on one of these sheets, and you'll also get the magazine and uh, points. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We don't have points. Anyway, um, we have a quarterly magazine called One to One and a monthly pastoral letter, which is primarily Bible teaching from a pastoral point of view. And um, we have a conference. I've been asked if you would like to come to our leadership conference. It's open to everybody. Um, May 13 through 15 next year at Gatlinburg. And if you call the office and the information is in the magazine, um, they'll tell you all about it. <clears throat> we have uh, this year Nick Ripkin, who has written two very powerful books on the persecuted church. If you're interested in the persecuted church, it, it's moving. Uh, he was a missionary in Mogadishu, had three of his disciples killed during the time of Black Hawk Down, in case some of you, I can't imagine a worse place to be a missionary, a harder place. And also, I'll just mention among the CDs, <clears throat> the reason I mention this is because uh, we all have a story and this is about the power of a story. Sometimes we all want to teach and preach, but the fact is the most powerful thing you have is your testimony. And it's what the Lord did for you, and we all have that, hopefully. So I would encourage you to, uh, if you want to know about that, get that CD. And above all, uh, get familiar with your own story. Sometimes we forget our story. Uh, I encourage people to write it down, take a couple of pages, write the highlights, and uh, be prepared to tell somebody your story. They may argue with your theology, they may not like your church, but they can't argue with your story. It's your story. So uh, be prepared to give it. Let's pray together. <clears throat> we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're here today. We're thank you, thankful, Lord, for those that made this time possible. Thank you for, for Brother Tom and Brother Jim and <clears throat> the staff. We appreciate them. And we pray, Father, that you would bless them and renew them and um, continue to use them to touch so many lives. And, Lord, I pray that there will be a contagion about it so that we'll all touch people. I pray that you'll help us, Lord God, today to comprehend what you're saying to us and to apprehend what you've called us to be and do. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, I love the book of Isaiah, <clears throat> um, and the 11th chapter, in a moment we'll read also from <clears throat> the uh, 61st chapter, and I um, hope you'll pray the Lord will help me <clears throat> this morning. I'm, I'm a little horse. Horse, not horse, but horse. Um, I said I'm 
I'm a little hoarse and I have a little cold. Anyway, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I really do appreciate uh, those who made this conference possible. Uh, I told uh, Brother Jim a while ago that the host needs to get the honorarium because they have to do all the work. And you start that next meeting. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> life is not fair. <clears throat> if life was fair, Elvis would be alive and all the impersonators would be dead. Anyway, <clears throat> um, about the time life gives you wisdom, it gives you dementia. That's just not right. Jack Hayford said somebody sent him a <clears throat> birthday card, had, and Jack's a little older than I am. He was, the birthday card was a guy sitting on the floor with presents all around him, and the caption was, uh, is that you sitting among your presents, or did somebody give you a little old man for your birthday? Anyway, I feel like, <laughs> I think. Somebody gave me a little old man for my birthday. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone, but I do know a few. Um, we've been talking about the preeminence of Christ and um, his preeminence in creation, his preeminence in the church, his preeminence in fellowship. And today we'll close by talking about his preeminence in mission. <clears throat> Excuse me. His preeminence in mission. We know what plumbers do. We know what mechanics do. We know what pilots do. What, is, what does church do? It meets, we know that. <laughs> um, what does it do? Well, uh, I pray God will help me to be succinct because I have so many different thoughts. And as I said earlier, I love the church. Uh, I don't uh, speak to, to be critical at the same time I want to expand our thinking, at least perhaps some of us, um, as we think about church. I have a message called In Search of Church, and what is church? And um, it's the, the thing that, that concerns me, and I'm a preacher, and sometimes I get very discouraged about the power of preaching. I know what the Bible says about preaching, and I believe that. but. Preaching can be a trap. You can think because you talked about something and you thought about something that you actually did it. And it's a lot easier to talk about it than it is to do it. Some people are not good at talking about it, but they do it very well. Other people talk about it very well, but don't do it at all. I have a friend, that <clears throat> my pastor, who uh, is just a blue-collar guy, if he were to be here talking to you this morning, you wouldn't think he was a great speaker. Um, he's retired from a mill. Um, he uh, has made disciples in 37 countries. 
He doesn't talk about it very well, but he's one of the best examples of doing it I've ever seen. And I'm, I'm challenged whenever he sends me a report every month on what he does. I don't request it. I'm glad everybody I work with doesn't do that because that'd be a lot of reading. But he sends me a detailed report every month. He just wants to be accountable. And uh, he tells me a little bit of what he does every day. And every day, he's either leading somebody to Christ or ministering to somebody trying to get them to come to Christ. He's on mission all the time. Well, the thing about hearing, and Jesus speaks about being hearers only, it, we, we enjoy hearing if it's well presented, but that doesn't equate with actually doing it. And going to church and tithing is not what I mean by doing it. I'm talking about the mission. <clears throat> and um, a teacher asked the children, said, there are five frogs on the log, and four decide to jump. How many are left? He said, one. She said, no, five. Deciding to jump is not the same thing as jumping. And I think that's, that's good. Now, another issue we have <clears throat> in accomplishing the mission is that we are analog in a digital world. Now, I'm not a techie. If I talk long about technology, you'll know I'm not. I have an iPhone, but I carry it for prestige. I just don't. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but analog is, is where everything is systematized. I um, came here from another place where we're starting a new church. And one of the things that you have to fight is that you automatically think the way you used to think. I said, I said, don't think, don't think the way you thought at the last place you were because that's just the easy thing to do. Ask God to give you new thoughts. Um, show you a new way. Now, analog is um, you're in charge of this, and you're in charge of this, and I'm in charge of this, and we have our teams. And so I, I feel like the church is doing it because you're doing that, and you're doing that, and I'm doing this. And that's the way we think about church. Digital is when the entire DNA is downloaded in the individual unit. That is, we may have people who do different things, but I carry the whole package. If I was the only one, the church could be fully born out of who I am in Christ. Um, digital, uh, digital has changed the world. But a digit is, uh, it, it responds to an internal command. And it's very rapid and it's very flexible and it can totally reshape forms almost instantly and then reshape again and um, I hope I'm not losing you I'm about to lose myself but the uh, you understand what I'm saying digital is when the individual contains all the DNA and mission and not just assigned to 
different parts of the machine. Now, when the church becomes digital, and I believe it will, it has in some places, because some places can't do church the way we do it. When the church becomes digital, it becomes flexible, quick, and effective. Uh, because every individual carries the, uh, the mission. Um, I wrote a book I'll never publish. should never say never, but I don't think it will. If it's ever published, it'll be posthumously. Um, on church. It was mostly therapy for me. Um, but the title of it was uh, Pastor Jesus, if he did it our way. Now you can readily see, I think, um, but what I, the scenario is that Jesus, instead of ascending, the disciples talked him out of it because they needed a strong, charismatic leader and didn't feel ready to you know, do it without him. And so he agreed to stay for a while longer, took him on a retreat, and uh, assigned uh, mission teams to each disciple and um, created a board of directors and had the first meeting in the upper room and Mary was in charge of intercession and uh, Simon Zelotes in charge of donkey parking and we had the whole thing fixed up. And of course everybody wanted to sit by Mary and you know it was just lots of different dynamics going on in the room. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and of course, we laugh about it because that's not what happened. <laughs> I think we probably ought to have the benediction just go on right now. I'm sorry. I, I'm <laughs> Woo, me. Well, I guess I've already caused enough trouble. <clears throat> that was my biography, by the way. I didn't mean to cause trouble. Um, what's, what is the church? We know it's more than a, um, an address, a facility, an art form where we really learn how to do it professionally. I don't know if any of you have seen uh, Bishop Andrew White's uh, interviews on, uh, on video on YouTube, I believe. Fox News also featured him. Bishop White is uh, the Anglican Bishop of Baghdad. Um, his mother was Pentecostal. He's a charismatic Anglican. And um, I saw an interview with Eric Metaxas. Some of you know who Eric Metaxas is. Uh, wrote George Washington's Sacred Fire and other books. Um, and the interview with Metaxas, I guess six months ago or more, uh, Bishop uh, White is a gregarious, outgoing uh, clergyman. You'd never guess that he was the Bishop of Baghdad if he didn't tell you. It just seemed like such a jubilant, happy guy. And um, he, um, 
at that time had 1,100 and something of his parishioners had been martyred. Um, I saw an interview with him a little bit later as ISIS is surrounding Baghdad. He looked drawn, very tired, resolute to stay there. But now many more of his people have been killed. And um, I'm very interested in the church in that part of the world because they remind me of the apostles and the early disciples. To them, church is, is, uh, is a body on mission. Let me read Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall delight in the fear of the Lord. That's interesting. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, his word, and with the breath of his lips, his spirit. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. You notice it says the spirit of. There's sevenfold anointing, the spirit of the Lord, or the spirit of lordship, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, spirit of, spirit of. It didn't say wisdom would rest upon him. It didn't say knowledge will rest upon him. It says the spirit of. In other words, all those good things come from the Holy Spirit. And out of the presence of the Holy Spirit comes wisdom. I, I think I alluded to this. If you want to turn to Isaiah 61, I think I alluded to this, that getting a piece of wisdom is like a drink of water, but living in the spirit of wisdom is a reliance on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom in our daily lives. I think Paul said a while ago, about instead of living by the river, live in the river. Uh, I just had a song in my mind all morning. There is a river that flows from deep within. There is a fountain that frees the soul from sin. Come to the waters. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry. The Holy Spirit is likened to a river. A wind, oil, a river, but notice this, the Holy Spirit flows. There's a flow, praise God. I have to be careful, I'll get off here. Um, the Holy Spirit's not erratic, chaotic, He's, he flows. I love, and Paul's done a wonderful job leading worship. I love the flow of the Holy Spirit. I miss it a lot of times. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, say because with me, I mean, if you know, there's a reason the Spirit is upon us. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, a jubilee, to comfort all who mourn, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise, for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. We'll stop there. Uh, I won't take the time to read Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, but Paul prays for the church very much like Isaiah prophesies concerning the Messiah. He prays that the Holy Spirit would rest upon them and, and give them wisdom in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he might, uh, that the Holy Spirit might lead them to know Jesus in the, I mean, you know, you don't just know Jesus historically. You know him in the Spirit. And to know his call on your life. When you get in the Spirit, you begin to understand the call. How I many of you know we all have a call? Now, a lot of times we don't know it because we're not in the Spirit. But you get in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fell on our congregation back uh, in 1964 and 65 and 66, uh, people wanted to pray. They just wanted to get together and pray. And uh, out of 11 or 12 guys that got really close, or well, yeah, there were some more added, uh, most of them went into a ministry of some kind. Um, and even those who remained in their vocation began to see it as a ministry. So Paul says, I pray the Spirit would come on you so that when the Holy Spirit was moving back in the 60s and 70s, a lot of people wanted to be in a ministry. Now a lot of people want to get out of the ministry. 20,000 pastors are quitting every year. 20,000. Um, why? Because there's, there's a drought right now. We were, we're relying on methods rather than a move of the Spirit. When a move of the Spirit comes and where the Spirit is moving, and He is moving in places today, wherever He's moving, then people want to get in the ministry. But where it's dry and dusty, people, you know, I'm, I got so dry I couldn't find a sermon in the Gospel of John. And um, it's true. I mean, you just get dry. You don't see anything. Then got filled with the Spirit. I started preaching out of the index. You know, you just get excited. <laughs> Praise God. It's in the Spirit. It's in the Spirit. Thank God for the Word. But you don't see the Word till the Spirit moves on you. And so... He said, I pray the Spirit will be given to you so you'll know Jesus, know your call, know his inheritance in the church. We're Christ's inheritance. God, my help us, Lord. And to know his resurrection power, the power that he, he um, 
used when he raised him from the dead and set him at the Father's right hand. To know the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord over everything, and to know the church as his body, the fullness of him. All this is known by the Spirit, not just reading the Scripture, and I'm all for reading the Scripture, but it is by the Spirit that these things become real because we then become fundamentally spiritual people living in the spiritual world, which is eternal and fades not away. Hallelujah. And we can know God in the Spirit. That's the only way we can know Him. And we only can know the church in the Spirit. To know that the church is His body, the fullness of Him, I don't, I, I, I ask a number of questions. Uh, one is, what did Jesus see when he died for the church? You've got to love it. What did he see when he died for the church? Ephesians 5 says he, he gave his life for the church. Uh, then I ask, what do you see when you look at the church? And then what does the world see? when it looks at the church? And then what are you looking for when you search for the church? We can only see it in the Spirit, and we can only live it in the Spirit. We can only be that. As Tom, I believe, said, it's his church. It is his church. It's his church. It's his body with his mission. It's his body with his mission. If it's his, then, and he's the head of it, then whatever his mission is, that's ours. And I read that. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor and heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and, and the opening of prison and the year of Jubilee to console those that mourn, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and um, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Our mission. Bodies, as we said yesterday, do the will of the head, or we call it special needs. Um, he has anointed me because, say because with me again, because. Now, my, my purpose in, the, in, in sharing this <clears throat> is that if it's recorded, it may affect somebody else. I know all of us are already doing this, so this is just for whoever else may listen to this. Um, <clears throat> but we're all ministers, right? Um... We have a because. I really do mean sincerely that I, I, I think you're a special group. Uh, many of you have been here for years and years and heard great teaching, great worship, built great friendships. Um, and probably in all likelihood are more active in ministry than the ordinary group of Christians. We have a because <clears throat> to proclaim the gospel on a personal level. Say on a personal level with me. On a personal level. 
we're digital. Because uh, we're, we're not a corporate church that meets all the time. We're, we're individuals. Um, we'll go back somewhere. Um, but we all are to proclaim the gospel. We all have a story. We all can pray for the sick. We all can proclaim liberty and we can release people from their prisons. Um, I just read an interesting book called The Shemata by uh, Joel Rosen. No, Kahn. Jonathan Kahn. I read Rosenberg too sometimes. Yeah, Jonathan Kahn. It's about the, uh, the Sabbaths. <clears throat> and he raises the issue is Sabbaths really a natural law and not just something for the Jews. And he talks about Jubilee. It caused me to look at Jubilee differently. The Jubilee is not just a forgiveness of debt, but it's a re-leveling of the economy. And he talks about how every so often those kinds of things happen. And um, it's not just the economy, but it affects all of culture. And um, he raises some questions about the future. Um, but we're all engaged in these things. Um, and helping people exchange beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. I love joy. Don't you love joy? Amen. Somebody's already pointed out, maybe it was Jim, that Joy and happiness are not the same thing. And that's true. Joy, true joy, is a spiritual thing. <clears throat> it's something within. <clears throat> Excuse me. The joy of the Lord is eternal. Happiness is circumstantial. And um, if you can help a person to come into spiritual joy, you can affect them um, for the rest of their lives. And... Uh, a long time ago, a lot of my stories begin like that, a long time ago, um, when you just walked up to the plane <laughs> um, and walked up to the counter, which I did, and, and I was waiting in line. It was one of these real early flights. I hate them, <clears throat> but I, I have to do them at 6 o'clock. And I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a morning person, mostly because I don't have hours. I, my hours are all changing. And um, somebody asked me if I saw the sunrise. I said, well, I didn't stay up that late. But the, um, and then you got an early flight. You know, that's a problem. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not at the apex of my, of my joy. <clears throat> and I'm standing in line. There's a lady. She's a morning person. She's all made up like she'd been up four hours and she was thrilled with her life and just excited. And, and I was thinking to myself, I hope I don't sit by her on the plane because <clears throat> I wanted to catch a little nap between there and Atlanta. And who did I sit by on the plane but this lady? And she wanted to chat. And I was trying to answer her questions and sleep at the same time. And... But the longer she talked, I realized her happiness was surface. And um, she began to, she was happy with her job. She was happy with a lot of stuff. But then 
she began to bleed out a few things that she wasn't happy about. <clears throat> and the minister in me woke up and, and um, I struggled, but I said, you seem happy, but I, I don't know if you have joy. She said, do you have joy? I said, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm just reeking with joy, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you can be miserable and have joy in the sense that you don't feel like talking or everything's not going the way you'd like it, but there is a fountain inside. And all you have to do is just turn your thoughts on it. And out of your belly comes rivers of living water. Praise God. The oil of joy, the garment of praise. The Spirit is on me not just so that I'll have it, but so that I'll give it. Uh. The greatest joys that I have are sharing my joy with somebody else. The greatest blessing is to see someone blessed. We live in a very um, self-oriented society, and often Christianity is marketed that way. Here's what it'll do for you. Well, it will do a lot for you. But if that's as far as it goes, it'll stop doing as much for you. If you want to keep it doing a lot for you, do something for somebody else. Amen. Share what you've got. Trees of righteousness, restorers of the paths to dwell in. Restoration's work. Restoration is work. Any of you ever restored a house? Anybody here, you ever restored a house? How many, how many of you discovered it had been easier to buy a new one? Well, we restored one one time. <clears throat> wow. And then we restored a boat. We had about a 60-foot sailing boat that was given to us because it was sunk. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well, I got boat stories, but I'm not going to tell that one. <laughs> yeah, it was sunk in shallow water. It was a beautiful... Well, it was beautiful when it was built, which was 1925. It was... It was a beautiful sailing schooner, two-masted schooner built by Bath Ironworks in Maine. They're very reputable builders. All teak and mahogany and brass. Built for the Spanish Racing Cup, the Queen's Racing Cup, 1925. And it sunk in shallow water, and somebody wanted a tax deduction, so they, they gave it to us. And so we, we went to work on it. Spent two years. It sunk because it had wormholes in the wood and it had not been properly cared for. In its day, it was a gorgeous boat. It took five sheets. It had four and a half rigging that made it about 60 feet. It drew eight feet of water. It had 12 tons of lead in the keel. So we decided rather than remodeling it, we'd restore it. There's the difference. Remodeling, you can do what you want to do. 
restoring, you bring it back to the original. A lot of people are trying to remodel the church. Church needs to be restored. <clears throat> and we, we restored it. Oh, it was beautiful. It was sail out in the Gulf. A lot of great experiences. Restoring somebody whose life has been sunk by drugs or alcohol or bad relationships or whatever. The Holy Spirit has called us to be restorers, not condemners, not critics. It doesn't take the Holy Spirit to be a critic. It takes the Holy Spirit to be a restorer. What gets in the way? Why, why is the church, at least a lot of it, not on mission? I don't mean that it's not trying to do something. But why is it that individuals in the church are not on mission? Well, sin. One reason is that knowledge becomes an end. We think because we're smart about the scriptures, therefore we are on mission. Well, that was the Pharisees' problem and the Sadducees. They, they, they had the Bible memorized, but they weren't on mission. I think one reason is uh, hypnosis. <clears throat> How many of you know that if you do a thing often enough the same way, you don't even have to think about it? I pastored for years, and every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, <clears throat> I was in church. By 11, 20, 25, along in there, I was behind the pulpit. And then I resigned the church, moved and started a different ministry. But every Sunday morning at 11.30, I'd go stand by on a piece of furniture. You know, it just felt like, you know. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying? You just feel like you need to be doing that something inside you. Well, church becomes a kind of a hypnotic thing. And I, I think, by the way, we should be at church. But... We, we, we're, we, we're in what I call a theater mode, which makes you a spectator. Yes. And we want a worship team that's good, professional. We want instruments. We want, you know, we want, of course, video. We want, um, we want lighting. We want, we want and want comfortable seating, of course, and pleasant surroundings. And, and pretty soon, you've got a theater. And I, I, I designed a church building, and I designed it like a theater. I, I studied the Shakespeare Theater and designed it because I love the acoustics. Theaters that were built before sound systems have wonderful acoustics. We've lost acoustical science because we don't need it. We got, we got, uh, we got power. But, uh, but in that theater, uh, which is in Montgomery, Alabama, the Shakespeare Theater, it seats about 750, 800. You can stand on the stage and speak like I'm speaking to you and be heard all over. You don't need a mic. Mics get between people and the speaker or the performers. And uh, the great old theaters in Europe are, are fantastic. And you, you can perform. You're right connected right there with the, with the audience. The, uh, <clears throat> here, here's uh, Spurgeon spoke to, uh, <clears throat> I believe, 10,000 people um, without a mic. They knew how to use 
uh, acoustics. Whitfield spoke to 23,000 people in the streets of uh, Philadelphia. And Benjamin Franklin went to the edge of the crowd and said you could hear him clearly. Franklin's the one that countered him. By the way, Franklin and Whitfield were friends. And uh, I believe personally that Whitfield won Franklin to Christ. They were close friends and Whitfield stayed in Franklin's home. There are a lot of stories about that. Um, but theater is wonderful. And be able to hear and feel connected, that's wonderful. But it's not the same thing as uh, being activated. And what, what do people look for in church? Hindrances. I think theater is a hindrance. It's good, but it's not so good if people see church as something they watch and hear instead of something they do. I think a lot of people hide in church. They hide this way. They say, our church is doing this and our church is doing that. And they're not doing anything. <laughs> oh, our church goes to China. Have you ever been to China? No, but our church goes. Our church supports missions. Well, that's good. That's analog. Digital is when you go. You do it. Um, people hide in church. And then a lot of people are ashamed of Jesus. <laughs> no, I don't know him. I, I know. <laughs> I had a cousin that did. I, I don't. You know, it was Peter. He was ashamed. You're one of them. No, 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 not me. Embarrassed. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's come to do is cure our embarrassment. Don't, uh, don't worry about what people think about you. It's not as good as you think anyway, so go ahead. And... Uh, <laughs> Somebody said to me, no, aren't you afraid you're going to get proud when people brag on you? I said, no, it all balances out. You know, <laughs> don't worry. about How many of you know what people think about you is of secondary importance? It's whether, you know, you can be an idiot in how you try to testify. It's true. We can be stupid sometimes. But I would rather make the mistake of doing it wrong than not doing it at all. And you can learn by your mistakes if you're willing to make them. The disciples got the mission. Uh, and they, they, didn't, they didn't all stay together all the time. They were all together on the day of Pentecost. They were all together for a little while after that. But history tells you that they all went in different directions. <clears throat> Eventually, they all scattered because they had... Personally, they had the mission. The mission wasn't on the corporate body. It was on the individual. Now, I'm for the corporate body. There's some things we can't do by ourselves. I, I get that. But that's not the problem right now. The corporate body is the only thing that is doing a lot of things. It's, it's the personal. 
tell them I'm busy, I'll be, I'll, be in, I'll get it in a little while. The disciples, how did they get it? Let me give you three things. First of all, they heard it. They heard it. They heard what Jesus said. They heard that he was the Messiah. They heard that what he had come to do. They heard what he said. They were hearers. Hearing with the ears, not all that he was talking about. Secondly, they saw it. Now, we hear it a lot, but we don't see it a lot. There needs to be a demonstration. Paul said, the gospel came to you not in word only, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. We need to demonstrate it. Um, <clears throat> we need to practice. It's good just to get together, a few of us, and pray for each other and, and uh, practice. Um, just do something. Just stop somebody and say, I need to practice. You mind if I pray for you? I just, I'm out of practice. <laughs> Whatever, I don't get you know, the Lord may tell you to do that. I don't know. Do, do it. Practice. Hear it. See it. Do it. Hear it. See it. Do it. People learn by hearing. They learn by seeing it. And then they learn by doing it. Now, the person that you see do it can do it with you. And then you do it by yourself. But those three elements have to be there. We need to hear what the Spirit is saying. We need to see what the Spirit is doing. We need to do what the Spirit is doing. Those three elements. If He's preeminent in our mission, then we will do our mission. If He is preeminent, in our mission. And if he's not preeminent in your mission, I question your theology of his preeminence. If he's not preeminent in the doing, then is he really preeminent as far as we're concerned? I don't want to be personal, but I, um, I'm not a preacher because I want to be a preacher. A person's got to be an idiot to want to be a preacher. Yeah. Or naive. I, I shouldn't say it that way. You, naive. Uh, You've you got to be naive. I mean, if it wasn't for the money, I'd quit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I'm sorry. That's not the best perk. The best perk is that people always think well of you. You know, the, the, the fact is, you don't do... If you do this... Because people want you to, or because you want to, you'll quit when you don't want to anymore, or when they don't want you to. <clears throat> I, I couldn't quit if I wanted to. There have been times when I did. Well, it wasn't so much that I wanted to, it's that I wanted to hurt somebody. Um, now, some of you don't understand what I'm saying. But... Um, um, we have different temperaments. Um, if you look me up in Wikipedia, and you won't have to because I'm going to tell you, you'll find out that I was at the top of a pyramid and all the money went up to me. 
Now, I'm looking for it, but I can't find it. Now, that's one of the blessings of being in the ministry, is that you get credit for stuff you don't actually get. Um, now, I'm telling you that not to make you feel bad for me. Please don't ever feel bad for me because I'm a blessed person. Um, but if you do the will of God, it may not work out like you'd like it to. Um, I got investigated by the IRS for <clears throat> the five-year audit. That's a lot of work. Thank God they didn't find anything. But uh, some of the brothers felt like we needed to be investigated, I guess. And um, I tell people, if you can get past the brothers, you won't have them trouble in the world. You know, the... <laughs> the <laughs> ancestors. Um, I'm dealing with a situation now where Christians are threatening to sue each other and so forth, and and one's already referred them to the IRS. It can get nasty. I know it wouldn't here. North Carolina's a much better place, but but there are places in the world where it can get nasty. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, Jesus warned his disciples it could get nasty. He said, woe be to you when all men speak well of you, for so spoke they of the false prophets. I've not had that problem. But anyway, that's, uh, I had crosses burned in front of my house. Back in the 70s, the Jim Jones thing was raging. We had a book distributed through our neighborhood saying um, that I was a Jim Jones. Now, I've been well treated here. Thank God in most places I am. I'm saying this to you. If you do what you do because it's working good, you're going to quit when it isn't. And that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is you belong to God, and it's God's choice. If he wants to use you in a way that's going to get mud on you, it, it's his choice. And, and the Bible says, rejoice and be glad about it. Hello. Come on now, don't let me get you depressed. I said, it says, rejoice and be glad about it. Doesn't it say that? Yes, That's right. In other words, it's a badge. If you upset the devil, you did something. If you don't upset the devil, I tell people, if you don't ever run into the devil, you may be going the same direction. You know the... <laughs> The, the thing is, uh, you need to stir up a little hell once in a while. You say, well, I, I may make a mistake. I'll guarantee you you'll make a mistake. You, the biggest mistake you're going to make is if you don't do something. Anybody that's in the ministry, and I'm sure several of you are, can tell you it doesn't always go well. I appreciate people put on conferences. I put on a few. I had to cash in my insurance to pay my bills. The first one I ever put on. <laughs> I hope you don't get through before I do. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to stop. 
uh, as the minister said, now as I continue to close. Um, <laughs> we had a Catholic lady come to our prayer group and get filled with the Spirit. Her name was Mary. And she uh, was quiet. She had a little high, soft voice. She was one of the boldest people I ever saw in my life. She'd just walk up to a minister. I mean, she was Catholic. She was secretary to official at the Jesuit college. And she'd say, do you speak in tongues? <laughs> she walked up to some rather famous Baptist ministers in all naivety and sweetness, said, oh, do you speak in tongues? <laughs> I would never do that. But <clears throat> she was bold as a lion. She said, Brother Charles, she said, why don't you hold a seminar over our school? This is 1966. This is before the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. And I said, Mary, I couldn't do that. She said, why not? I said, well, they wouldn't let me. Oh, she said, they might. I said, Mary, will you ask them? I'll do it. Well, she asked, and they said yes. <laughs> so <clears throat> she said, all you have to do is rent the dormitory and the cafeteria and the auditorium. So I did. I didn't have a committee. I didn't have a board. I didn't have sense. I just <laughs> did it. <clears throat> and we had a lot of students. Students don't have any money. And besides the guy that was moderating that I'd asked to moderate before I really checked him out, he didn't believe in taking offerings. <laughs> he uh, put a little box out by the door. And, of course, nobody knew what the box was for. <laughs> and, um, you know, after the second day, there was nothing. In, it was 20-something dollars in the box. And, and I, was, I, was, uh, I was not feeling the anointing. I, I, I was... Uh, <laughs> I was trying to get my burden over onto the, this guy, and he, he didn't seem to get it. And, and then somebody said, Carolyn is outside crying, that she was in charge of refreshments. And I said, what's the matter? She said, uh, I'm so embarrassed, Brother Charles. She said, I got a speeding ticket. I was going to get some, I was going to get some more refreshments, and I, I got a ticket. And uh, I said, how much is it, Carolyn? She said, $14. That tells you how long ago it was. And um, she said, I don't have any money. I said, don't worry about it, Carolyn. I said, uh, here, I'll take care of it. And I gave her the money. She said, oh, I really appreciate it, Brother Charles. I said, Carolyn, don't bother God. He's got a lot more than that on his mind right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how I was going to pay for that dormitory, that cafeteria. <laughs> And so it looked like the guy said, uh, we were, you know, in the war, and I was surrounded by snipers, and I got shot this way and shot that way. And they said, what happened? He said, I got killed. I, the thing <laughs> is, I got killed. <laughs> but I cashed it all in, paid for it. We had a good seminar. Later, my son got a, um, almost a free ride to that same school. I don't know, $50,000 maybe. And then my granddaughter got a free ride, bigger than his. You don't know, you just sow. It may not look good, it may not look good immediately. But you don't do it 
is unto the person. The real question is, do you see Jesus standing there? Well, it is, by the way, a commission, the great commission. Don't do it alone. The Lord said, I'll be with you. I appreciate 2 Timothy. That's one of my favorite books, too. Very practical. I appreciate the line where Paul said, I finished my course. It's good to know what your course is, and it's great to finish it. Thank you.